Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. The weather's nice. We're still uh, still in lockdown, but um, we're getting a lot of podcasts done. That's we a, certainly are. That's a good thing. Uh, so we're going to do another question. Uh, we have a few to catch up on, so this is, um, this is very appropriate. Uh, this one is from Monica. So Dr. Davis, why don't you go ahead and read the question? Sure, sure. I know we're on this kind of trend of answering questions, but we've got some really great ones on the website and by email. Um, so definitely, I appreciate all you listeners and readers, you know, sending in your questions so they can help everybody else. So this question is from Monica. Hi, thank you for, br- thank you for providing such great information regarding BHRT. And this has been a great resource and one of the best sites I have visited. Now you know why we're answering Monica's question, right? Yeah, she's very complimentary. I like it. I <laughs> no, like we it. love Monica. No, thank you. Thank you for the compliment. So Monica says, my question is, I'm currently going through perimenopause. While back in July, my hormone levels tanked and I started having terrible problems with hot flashes and night sweats. And after about three months and no period, um, the blood test confirmed that my levels were really low. I decided to go with a BHRT, so bioidentical hormone replacement cream, and within a week I could tell a huge difference. I do have a uterus and my current cream is biased 50-50 ratio plus progesterone plus testosterone. So it looks like the testosterone is 1.8 milligrams combined with, this is kind of, what do you think about this? It says biased 50-50 plus P plus T 1.8 milligrams plus 200 plus five. Oh, I get it. There's a combination cream here that Monica has where there's a biased 50-50 ratio. So that's 1.8 milligrams, which would be 0.6 0.6 milligrams of estradiol, 0.6 milligrams of estriol with 200 milligrams of progesterone included with five milligrams of testosterone. So on my second month of this, I started my period and then in another 10 days, I started bleeding again for three weeks straight. During this time, I was given a seven-day supply of a 10 milligram oral progestin. A lot of docs do that to try to stop um, chronic bleeding, so that's pretty common. But unfortunately, in Monica's case, this didn't help slow down the heavy bleeding, and I returned back to talk to my doctor, and I was told told I was most likely not absorbing the progesterone, which I do think she's correct because it was a progesterone cream, which doesn't, it's not that she's not absorbing it, it just doesn't have that effect on the uterus to prevent bleeding when someone's taking some kind of estrogen component to it. So, so in some ways, you know, the doc, you know, the doc's right about that. So anyway, during this frame of a few weeks of bleeding, I got in with my regular gyno for an ultrasound. So she did a transvaginal ultrasound, even though she had already had one not too long ago in 2018. um, But everything was healthy and looked normal. So I wanted to make sure that I was getting back on track and started taking oral progesterone and then using the cream is this a safer option? It was also mentioned that I might consider pairing the Marina IUD with the BHRT cream 
which I understand. She says here, I'm not really crazy about that. I'm certainly not really crazy about that idea either. But she goes on, Monica goes on to say, I've always had a regular cycle and no issues and only took birth control for a short time in my early 20s. I'm 47 years old and I'm hoping to get on the right track to have a well balance using the least I can, but still feeling confident in making good choices. So any suggestions or feedback is greatly appreciated. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, this is certainly a situation that we deal with quite often. Uh, she she has a prescription. She's uh, She tells us at the end that she's 47. Uh, that would have been the first thing that I would wanted to have known when she says she's in perimenopause. Giving a woman in perimenopause biased right off the bat, you know, you're going to probably run into these kind of bleeding issues fairly quickly. Uh, you, I know we always want to know how recent has been their, you know, how recent has their menstrual history been? Has it been three months, six months, 12 months? Uh, are they are skipping a month? Is it every, you know, is it a couple times a year? Because uh, you put them right on biased right away and uh, the, the bleeding is going to be potentially unpredictable. Exactly. So, you know, she's 47. I would, you know, in a perfect world, um, I would really say she's probably more perimenopausal than actually true menopausal. But she does go on to say she missed three months of a period and that when they did a blood test, her hormones were really low. So that is showing that she's probably progressing, which is what perimenopause is, into menopause. And I can completely understand having those terrible night sweats and hot flashes. She's not sleeping. She's feeling bad. Those hormones really have tanked. But like Dr. Mackey said is, you know, she probably would benefit from a little bit of biased, but a 50-50 ratio, just, you know, looking at everybody, a 50-50 ratio of an estradiol to an estriol is pretty strong. Normally in the beginning, we usually do an 80-20 where there's 80% estriol, the more gentle estrogen, and only 20% of the estradiol, which is the stronger form. So for Monica being 47 and she's put on a 50-50 ratio, that might have been a little bit too strong for her to start off in the beginning. Yeah, right. We would never start a woman that has never been on hormones before, especially a 47-year-old, on a 50-50 ratio. Uh, now, the milligram amount does make a difference there. She's on 1.8 milligrams, so it's only, uh, would you say, point, uh, point point nine, 0.16? Yeah. Uh, 0.9. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, it'd point. be 0.9, exactly. Yeah. She's yeah, on almost on one milligram of estradiol, uh, so... Like you said, maybe an 80-20, um, maybe we've talked about this in a previous episode, maybe even just a straight estriol cream, because all she really needs the estrogen for is to stop the hot flashes, but not exacerbate any bleeding. Okay, now, the other thing that I know that you're going to probably say this next, the other thing that we don't typically do is, especially for our first time uh, BHRT users, we're not going to put all three variables, uh, estrogen or bias, progesterone and testosterone into the same cream. Uh, we like to separate them out. We don't like to use the cream at all specifically for this case, which she came to later. Uh, her doctor gave her the oral progesterone. We would have easily started her on the oral progesterone, 100 milligrams, um, and maybe with the idea of going up to 200 milligrams, um, depending on, you know, whether she started bleeding or not. Exactly. So that's like kind of two um, concepts there is the progesterone as a cream. And, and you do, a, when you do progesterone as a cream, you do absorb it through the, you know, through the, you know, the skin membranes, you do absorb it. It does go into the bloodstream, but it doesn't really have an effect on the uterus like a capsule. So that progesterone cream didn't protect the uterus. And so that extra estrogen on top of, you know, from Monica's taking made her uterine lining start to get thick. Hence, she had a period. Hence, she had another one 10 days later. Hence, she had three weeks of chronic heavy bleeding. And that's why the progestin probably didn't do much is because that had already kind of started that, 
I guess you could say facilitated that cycle already that by the time they put in the progestin, which I don't really like anyway, it didn't, it didn't work. So definitely I, like Dr. Mackey said, is keeping that progesterone as a capsule in a female that's, you know, in her, you know, that has a, has a, any kind of uterus, any kind of BHRT um, with a uterus, we always use a progesterone as a capsule. And then like you mentioned is when you put all those variables together, the testosterone, the estrogen, the progesterone, you have no way of balancing it. So let's say this cream gave Monica a ton of acne, you know, got a pretty good amount of testosterone in there. Again, for a first time user, giving her five milligrams of testosterone right off the bat, uh, I guarantee you uh, she's going to have some hair issues, some blemish problems, uh, and maybe start losing hair in a matter of about a month and a half. So then what do you do? You don't necessarily want to reduce the cream that she's taking because then you reduce the progesterone and the estrogen component, but you don't want to, if she's having more hot flashes, but she's having acne, you wouldn't want to increase the cream because then she'd have more testosterone. So then you basically have to take that cream, throw it in the garbage and do a new one. So that's why we usually separate this out because being a 47 year old female, everybody is different. Every 47 year old female is different. What works for one is going to be completely different for someone else. So keeping those variables separate allows you to manipulate and be able to find the right dose for that person. And then once you do, then you can combine it together. Yeah. So let's say, let's say, uh, we change it up a little bit. So right, I guarantee you, I don't guarantee, I can't guarantee anything because it's hard. To, like you said, these, these situations are challenging. She's still in that menstrual window where she's transitioning from perimenopause into menopause. Uh, her menstrual history is only three months ago. Uh, it's almost a guarantee that you give her some estrogen. Uh, she's going to have, she's going to start bleeding again. Now, um, that is not a concern, right? When you're on, when you're taking hormones and even when you're, you know, in perimenopause, uh, bleeding in that situation is kind of par for the course. It's a normal process. Now, gynecologists get a little nervous sometimes. They want to automatically do a uterine ultrasound or a transvaginal ultrasound, uh, but it's not necessarily, it's not really necessary right off the bat because she's taking hormones, so we know why she's bleeding. And looking at the prescription, uh, it's pretty clear. Like, so from the beginning, let's say we, her, her uh, bias was changed to an 80-20 ratio, two milligrams. So, uh, you know, it's just a straight number. The progesterone was started out, and I know that I do this a lot. I'm not sure how you do the progesterone, uh, where she would start at 100 milligrams, take it for, let's say, seven days. If she feels maybe 10 days, if she feels good, double it up to 200. Uh, so now she's probably one going to help her sleep a little bit better. Um, but right from the get-go, it's going to protect that lining so she's not going to bleed you know, from the start, as opposed to trying to fix it when it already started bleeding, like you said, a few minutes ago. And I completely agree with you. And and keep the testosterone out in the beginning. Because I do like testosterone, but I consider testosterone more like, I always call it like the frosting on the cake. Like you don't want to add the frosting until you've created the cake. So that's like the fun accolades of adding a little bit of testosterone here to really help that picture, you know, help that, that woman feel really good. But you don't want to start off with testosterone because just on a side note, is testosterone as a molecule looks almost mirror exactly the same as an estradiol. So sometimes when you give a female testosterone, it will aromatize and turn into estrogen, and then they have more estrogen than they really think that they have. Yeah, right. And five milligrams, as I we already talked about, five milligrams to start out is kind of a lot. Um, some women can tolerate a whole bunch of testosterone. Some can tolerate very little. Uh, most women that we even have on testosterone, they're usually not on even five milligrams. They might be on two, three, maybe four. Very few are on five or above. Uh, you know, some are. Some, like I said, some tolerate it well, but 
but um, the majority of them, especially when you're starting out for the, even for the first six months, uh, maybe only on a milligram or two, as opposed to starting them right off the bat at five milligrams. That's, that's, uh, you know, potentially going to create some problems that again, you'd have to troubleshoot on the back end of that, you know, uh, two months in when she's having, you know, hair growth and acne problems. Yeah. And hair loss on the head. Exactly. And you know, I do understand. I'm glad she got into her gynecologist and talked with her gyne and that she had that ultrasound and everything looked good. So that's good to know. But, you know, the idea of doing an IUD, a hormonal IUD, which is what the Mirana is or the Kylissa or what's the other one? Skylar? Skylar? Yeah, yeah, I think it's called Skylar. Yeah, they're all, they're all, you know, they're all IUDs. I do think they're way better than doing birth control. But at the same time, it's hormonal. So you're adding more hormones into a 47-year-old female that's already taking some hormones. It just ends up being a little bit too much of a what a hormone salad. Yeah, yeah, right. And we don't like the progestins anyways. Uh, so taking bioidentical progesterone again, if she would have started out that way with one to two hundred milligrams of the oral capsule, she probably wouldn't have been in this situation to begin with. And you know, we see these uh, you know women that are uh, approaching menopause being suggested to use an IUD. Uh, you know, I just don't understand that. Con- I just don't, I understand from a gynecology perspective, they have limited options, at least with what they're used to and what they, uh, what they recommend to people. And I just think that that's a really bad option in, in most cases. Yeah. Cause the idea here of course is, is that Mirena, that, that hormonal IUD will thin the lining of the uterus and she'll stop bleeding. A lot of women with IUDs don't have any periods, you know, or if they do, they're very, very light because that lining is made thin. I'm glad that her gynecologist didn't jump right into suggesting an ablation, which is also really common with somebody that's having chronic heavy bleeding. But I can understand, hey, she's been bleeding for three weeks, heavy. She's probably anemic at this point, poor Monica, that you've got to stop the bleeding. But when you look back on why she's having the bleeding, it's definitely, you know, that progesterone. And just like Dr. Mackey said, maybe because this cycle has already facilitated itself, that doing the 200 milligrams of progesterone might have been a may, maybe even a wiser idea than doing 100 milligrams of an oral capsule. Yeah, because uh, as I stated in the beginning, she's 47. Her period was only three months ago. You have to take that into consideration. Uh, now, if she had not had a period for a full year, right, the likelihood of her getting us uh, getting some bleeding back is still somewhat dose dependent. Okay, if we put her on some of that, let's say uh, hypothetically, Monica, let, let's fast forward five years. She's 52. She hasn't had a period for a year and a half. And we put her on a high enough level of, you know, let's say the same thing. We put her you know, all in one cream, three different things, progesterone cream, uh, bias 50-50. She'd still have the same problem more than likely. Uh, it might know, or, take or, at least, or at least she could. A little anyways. longer. Might, yeah. might take more like four months before she had bleeding. But she would eventually with the way, you know, with having that 50-50 and not having the progesterone as a capsule, she would eventually have some bleeding. And we always say, you know, don't freak out about bleeding. We don't want you to bleed all the time. Sometimes the uterus has a little bit of lining accumulated and it just wants to clean house. So, hey, okay, three days, you know, once, once after starting BHRT, but not as, you know, you know, Monica's having here three weeks straight. So she started bleeding for 10, within 10 days. And then again, three weeks straight, heavy bleeding that, yeah, that's too much bleeding. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I think this is also what gives, um, BHRT kind of a bad rap I and mean, kind of blame it on the BHRT and the gynecologists get a little, 
you know, a little irritated by this kind of situation because they have to, you know, fix it with the way they know how to fix it. Um, but, you know, to begin with, I don't think that her prescription was, you know, enough variables weren't really taken into consideration. Now, granted, it's a really tough place to be when you're having hot flashes, but your menstrual history is still fairly, either you're still having a period or you've had one within the last six months, right? Because the bleeding even though it's not serious, it's still really inconvenient. It can lead to some anemia. Uh, it's just not something that a woman wants to deal with because it's unpredictable. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, to, to give her practitioners that she's going to see now, uh, you know, some, you know, some credence, uh, you know, this is a very, you know, because of where she is in her life and the transition that she's in, it's a really difficult spot and to have all those hot flashes and night sweats and being miserable while you're trying to work or take care of the kids or, you know, whatever, just trying to be functional. Uh, you know, she, she made the right decision to look into BHRT. Um, but you know, the way the prescription was done, it just, you know, it could, it could have been done a little bit differently and hopefully then it would have provided her with the relief that she wanted. Yeah. Cause she's an individual. So this dose didn't really work well. So just like we said, you know, as well, and, and just like she did here, which is great, you know, taking the progesterone as a capsule, you know, and then possibly after she's gotten this into her bloodstream after about a month is retesting those levels because she is perimenopause. And that's the that's the interesting thing about being perimenopause as opposed to postmenopause is those ovaries are like little gremlins. They want to work full time. They want to work part time. They want to go on vacation. They don't want to work at all. And then they come back full blast. You're kind of following them a little bit as opposed to somebody that's postmenopausal and those ovaries are like, we're retired, we're done. Then whatever you're giving them is actually that dose. So that's where I, I would definitely, you know, test her levels again after she's been on the new hormones for about a month. Yeah, and initially when she goes in to see the practitioner the first time, looking at her FSH level, uh, because she's only 47, her period is three months ago, her FSH, if you had to guess where her FSH is, what would you what would you guess? Her FSH was probably in the 50s, but this is really interesting, is I'll test a female's FSH or the follicle-stimulating hormone. It's a signal from the brain kind of monitoring the overall ovarian status. And the higher the FSH, the close, the, you know, I guess you can say the lower the ovarian functioning is. So I would say her FSH was in the 50s where you think, you know, a, a fertile female menstruating, cycling just fine in their 20s, their FSH is usually around two and a half to five, you know, right around there. Yeah, very low. So I would definitely say that hers was in the 50s. But like I said, what's interesting is I do a lot of FSHs with females. I do it a lot more than I think you do mm -hmm. is I'll see somebody, you know, a perimenopausal female I'll see their FSH in the 50s, and then I check it again three months later, and it's 19. Right. Now, is that after hormones, or nope. is that just a change that you notice? That's just, hey, let's, you know, they're, they're feeling fine. You know, here, Monica's having some symptoms. But let's say, you know, their symptoms are minimal. We're working on some adrenal things. We're working on some thyroid levels. And I say, okay, let's, you know, they might have had a period every other month. I'm like, let's, let's hold off before we throw you into that, you know, hormone soup is let's hold off for a second, and then let's check it again. And we check it again, and sure enough, it's down at 19. And then we keep following it, and hey, it's, you know, 12, 19. 13 and then it popped back up to 40 and that's because the ovaries are you know like I said they're vacationing or they're working full-time or they're working part-time we're following that because I find that when I give a a female hormones that they don't necessarily that they don't need right away they don't feel that great they get puffy they get munchy they gain a little bit of weight so you know when somebody needs the hormones is when they do feel good, when they're sleeping better, when they lose a little weight, when their mind is working, when their libido goes up. So it does sound like Monica liked the overall wellness and 
her hot flashes went away. So definitely BHRT is something that's really good for her. It's just finding the right dose. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the that's the difficult part. That's the part where you have to take all these. You could take her stress. You got to take her age. You got to look at her menstrual history. You got to you know look at you know, even asking where mom went into menopause. How old was mom when she went into menopause? Was she on the early side? Was she a little bit later? Even grandma will there'll be a similarity between a grandma, mom, and daughters of when they you know start this you know because perimenopause 30 years ago no one even even heard about anything like that uh now this is the other thing too that happens around this age too because what you're talking about with the fsh so fsh is a pituitary hormone in your brain that is released and that communicates with the ovaries to tell them to produce estrogen and now as a woman gets around this age to their late 40s to the early 50s uh as that signal uh, as the ovaries, like you said, are on vacation and stop responding, that FSH level st- keeps going up. So eventually, the ovaries kind of kick in and they do what they're supposed to do. So women very, very often start having heavy bleeding in their late 40s. Uh, and now all of a sudden, doctors are kind of freaking out when they should be approaching menopause. All of a sudden, their period's heavier, heavier than it's ever been, kind of scaring women a little bit, thinking like there's a major problem going on. Again, going into the transvaginal ultrasound, thinking you might have uterine cancer, that that's a normal process. That is not a cancer-producing process. It's just the way the body works. Um, even though it doesn't seem really counterintuitive that you're going to have a heavier period right at the end, but it's because of how that feedback loop works between the brain and the ovaries. Uh, and again, that's why you're probably seeing these FSH levels on lab tests jump around so much because uh, the, the, the brain's doing what it's supposed to do. The ovaries are just being stubborn. And eventually it, the signal kind of kicks in and all of a sudden now that estrogen threshold is being met and they have, you know, they have excessive bleeding than they used to have. Exactly, exactly. Because that is one thing we didn't mention is in perimenopause is the progesterone always drops, right? You hit, you know, 44, 43, 46, that progesterone plummets, but the estrogen doesn't always do that. It might drop a little bit so that excess estrogen will cause a thicker lining just in general, not even Monica or anybody, you know, being on BHRT. It's just that you see that in that perimenopausal phase. So it might've sort of, you know, had in the, you know, doing this biased 50, 50 ratio without the oral progesterone might've just accelerated that process. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, I think we kind of, I think we, you know, we kind of hashed this one out pretty well. Do you have anything else to add? No, no. Thank you, Monica, for sending in your question and for, um, and was this in response to a, a blog article that she read? Yeah, this or was a, 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 this was a blog post. Uh, actually, the blog post was titled, How Does Bioidentical Progesterone Help? Um, which is exactly about this issue. Uh, and we have a couple other ones that are about cream versus capsule uh, because, you know, these kind of questions, they just keep coming up over and over and over. And, you know, we look at these prescriptions, which we see all the time. And, uh, you know, we, uh, it's not that our way is the best way, you know, there that's the one thing when it comes to hormone replacement uh it is uh you talk to 10 doctors you're going to get 10 different opinions uh you know everyone has their style of how they do it um but at the same time there's some there's some glaring differences in this situation and all the other ones we talk about that's why we talk about them because it's not that the other doctors are doing something wrong necessarily it's just that we don't agree with how they're know how the prescriptions are being uh, delivered or constructed and we're just giving opinions uh, and I think in this one at least uh, at least this one like 
the fact that there's something that we can discuss about it, like there's something that we can say, well, we would have done this different, we would have done that different, and then that would have hopefully uh, protected from the bleeding. Uh, that's why we talk about these questions because now everybody can learn. So when they go back to the practitioner, we're like, wait a minute, you know, what about this? What about that? They can they can be informed and ask the right questions uh, because we get a lot of the people like Monica. They end up coming to see us as patients because they've been through this you know, this process and they're just not getting to where they want to go. They feel better in some ways, but other things come up. And a lot of times um, practitioners don't necessarily know how to troubleshoot once there's a problem. Exactly. So yes, thank you. Thank you, Monica, for reading and for all you listeners. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps help some people. And like you said, help, help people learn, help. We're all learning, right? We're always all learning. Yeah, yeah. And I know online learning is uh, online. Everything is going up these days with all the lockdown stuff that's going on. So hopefully everyone's surviving through all of that. Uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.